You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bonies, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bonies. Well, what do you think about movie sequels? I mean, let's be honest, let's be honest. Most movie sequels are not as good as the original, are they? But occasionally, just occasionally, you get a really good movie, and then the sequel is even better. Like, take Paddington and Paddington 2. Like, Paddington, (laughs) stay with me on this, guys. Honestly, honestly, Paddington was a real hit, a real hit when it came out. But then when Paddington 2 came out, it was considered to be the best film ever made. I'll just say that again, the best film ever made because the review aggregator, which takes all the reviews of of the films, they put them all together and Paddington 2 got a whopping 100%. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, 100%, absolutely. (laughs) So, but maybe, maybe Talking Bears isn't your thing. Maybe it's like Top Gun or, and Maverick. I mean, Top Gun, when Top Gun came out, it was, it was a smash hit. It was the, uh, the highest grossing film uh, in that year, the year that it came out. And then when Maverick came out, you know, people thought, is it going to be as good? Can't be as good, surely, as the original. But actually, it's now the seventh highest grossing film of all time in America. So occasionally, occasionally, you do get a sequel, which is better than the original. So why am I saying this? Well, this message today is is a kind of sequel to the last message that, that I gave. The last message was titled Releasing the Flow, and it was all about flow restrictors. In fact, I've still got one of these tiny little flow restrictors in my pocket. I still keep it as a remembrance of, of what that was all about. Well, these uh, tiny little flow restrictors in the shower, if you remember, they reduce the flow. Why would you do that? But anyway, so um, uh, the thing about them is they're small, they're hidden, they're effective at reducing the flow, and uh, they've been there a long time. Uh, but fortunately, you know, you can identify them and take them out, and then you can get effective showers again. And, and so my talk today is, it's a, it's, a similar, it's a similar destination, but a different journey to releasing the flow. And it's titled, The Father's Broadband, and it's about prayer. And I'm just so glad with the words that have been shared this morning by Jessica and by Andrew and by Rosie, because that has set up this message perfectly. So the message today is the Father's broadband, and I don't know if you um, and, and I, I don't know if you um, if you saw in the news a couple of weeks ago the uh, the, the subsea cable which was connecting Shetland to the rest of Scotland was was damaged, and everyone was left without broadband, and life came to a standstill. I mean, people couldn't work from home, they couldn't keep in touch with their friends, their family, their church. The emergency services struggled, and you know, like. These days you need broadband to listen to music, to watch the TV. Even the cooker and the, you know, the, the central heating is connected to, to Wi-Fi these days. You just can't do anything without broadband. Well, there's one thing you can. You can have a shower. Fortunately, you can have a shower. <laughs> but just imagine that. Imagine if, if you needed broadband for a shower and you had a piddly shower and intermittent broadband, you would definitely have a bath then. <laughs> definitely. I would be a bath person. I would be converted. Definitely a bath person. Um, so, so, um, so, so the thing is about uh, uh, about about broadband. We need broadband for just about everything in life, but actually, we need prayer for even more. We need we do need prayer for everything in our life. 
And um, as, as some of you know from uh, my last talk, Lynn and I built our own house uh, a while ago, and there were two pressure points that we had. And the first was the piddly showers, and that's been resolved, as you know. The second was the broadband, because probably we're probably unique here. I don't know, has anyone else got copper, copper cable to the house? Am I the only one? John, <laughs> John, that's why he's my best friend. <laughs> so John has got copper cable to the house as well. So I've got copper cable to the house, and and, um, and so my broadband comes through this copper cable, and that means that the, the data is transmitted by electricity, and electricity is not great for transmitting data. The, the data becomes attenuated, or the, the signal reduces with distance. Uh, and so what that means is that if I'm, if I'm on a video conferencing call, so I, I, I work from home, and I have lots of uh, video conferencing calls, we use something called Microsoft Teams, and, uh, and often you know the camera's on, and I'm speaking to colleagues or, or customers even, and occasionally what happens is the picture just freezes. And there I am, I'm talking away to this frozen picture of a person, and I know that they can't hear me, and I can't hear them, and it's just, it's just not good enough. And I just wonder, does that, does that sound like your prayer life? You know, do you feel sometimes that when you're praying, you're, you're just, you've just got a kind of shopping list of things that you're praying into, and you're, you, you're just talking. It's like one-way traffic. You're talking, but you're not hearing anything back, and you're not sure if anyone is really hearing. Is there anyone listening at the other end? Does that sound like your prayer life? If it does, well, you're not alone. I mean, copper cable broadband is considered to be standard speed broadband, so you know that's probably standard prayer for most people. So you're not alone, and this, this message is for you. But fortunately, I met John. John, I have the greatest of admiration for John. I'm going to embarrass you now. But uh, we went on a, uh, a wild men walking and camping trip, which was amazing. You get to know people really well when you're wild camping and walking. And uh, I shared my, my predicament with John. And John says, Graham, I can help you with that. I thought, thank you, <laughs> thank you, John. And he did, and he did. You know, so, so what John did is he got me set up with uh, a 4G router and a directional antenna. So this is the directional antenna. And so unlike copper cable, which uses electricity, uh, this 4G router uses radio waves. And so this directional antenna has got a receiver and a transmitter in it, which is like ears and a mouth. And you've got to point it at the mast. It has to be pointed at the mast, so assume the, the mast is at the back of the room. You point at the mast, and you get a good signal. And so I've got four times the speed. So now, when I'm on a video conferencing call, I can speak to the other person. There's no interruption. There's maybe a slightly delay, maybe a second delay, but you know, generally, it's really, really good. However, it's not perfect. Sorry, John. <laughs> The thing is, these radio waves also become attenuated. They, they get interference. And one of the things that causes interference is rain. And do you know how, how much it rains in Scotland? And I think ever since Margaret preached on praying for rain, my broadband has not been as good as it used to be. So Margaret, please. So <laughs> the other thing is, um, and, and occasionally as well, if if there's too much data being transmitted, then my company firewall blocks it. Uh, so I just get nothing at all. So if I need really, really effective broadband, I have to go to my sister-in-law, and she's got fiber. She's got fiber. I just love fiber. It's just like instant. It's reliable. You know, I can upload and download huge files, no problem at all. And the thing is, like, if you think about it, 
powerful and effective prayer is like fiber broadband. I mean, fiber broadband uses light. It doesn't use radio waves or electricity. It uses light. The data is transmitted at the speed of light. But the Father's broadband is even more powerful than that because God knows what you need even before you do. Before you say anything, he knows what you're gonna say. And, and so you cannot measure this in megabits a second. It's, it's off the scale. So this talk today is about the Father's broadband and it's about powerful and effective prayer. I'll come back to this later. So I just want to say one other, one other thing that um, you know, just, just sparked from you know, what we've heard this morning as well, that just like with broadband, there's a download speed and an upload speed. And if you check your broadband speeds, you'll find that your download speed is higher than your upload speed. And that is the same with God. He is always talking to us. He is talking to us in so many different ways. And even if we're not praying to him, even if we're not speaking, even if there's no upload, there's always download. Nothing blocks that download to us. Okay. So I'm just going to pray and then, um, and then go into our chapter. I'll read our chapter, our, our Bible passage today, and then we'll, we'll go through that. So let's just pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. And we just thank you, Lord, that we're, we're going to be looking at some very familiar words, some familiar words of Jesus. And we just pray that you will shed a new light, just give us a fresh revelation into these words this morning. Oh Lord, we just want to grow deeper in our relationship with you. We just want to come closer to you. And we just pray that you'll give us the courage to respond in the way that you want us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today's passage is Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, and I'll just read. So one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
So just a little bit of context here before. By this time, by the time that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, they'd been with Jesus for quite a while. So they had, they had seen Jesus um, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise a girl from the dead. They'd seen him walk on water, uh, calm a storm, feed thousands of people with a boy's lunch. Some of them had seen him transfigured on a mountain where his face changed and, and his clothes became bright like lightning. And by this time, Peter had already proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one of God. So the disciples had done life with Jesus. They had walked with him, talked with him, eaten with him. And they had seen his prayer rhythm. They had seen that Jesus often went out uh, on his own to be alone with the Father and then came back. And when he came back, he did amazing things. He, he did things that no one had ever done before and he taught things about the kingdom of heaven that no one had ever taught before. So the context is that the disciples had been with Jesus for a long time by this time. And so they asked him, they said, well, you know, John has taught his disciples to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And when you think about it, Jesus could have, he could have spent a sermon series on this. I mean, how long have we been going through Philippians? Is it two years? (laughs) At least two years we've been going through Philippians. And we're still on, what, chapter two? We're still on chapter two, aren't we? (laughs) This is a year on chapter. I mean, let's face it, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack in terms of prayer, isn't there? There's a lot. And and Jesus could have, you know, he, at least an hour sermon, he could have done on this at least, yeah, yeah, but but he didn't. Um, And so what Jesus did and what we're we're seeing is, is a foundation for prayer, a framework. Uh, some prayer points. So I'm just going to go through three prayer points. So the first is posture, the second is purity, and the third is perseverance. First of all, on posture. So Jesus starts by saying, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. But whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, just think about that. In that time, the name of God was considered to be so holy that human lips couldn't pronounce it. The word Yahweh, the name for God, was too holy for human lips. And that stems back from Leviticus chapter 24 where uh, if anyone blasphemed the name of God or misused the name of God, then they would be stoned to death. And out of fear of misusing the name of God, uh, the Jews, uh, they just did not use the name of God. And here Jesus is, is saying to them, that you come in prayer before God and you say, Father, but, but even more than that, he says, Abba, Father, the word he uses is Abba, which really is a much more tender uh, version of Father. It's more like Daddy or Papa. And so he's saying, come to, come to God and say, Daddy. I mean, that must have sounded really quite outrageous to the disciples at that point. And it's such a, a tender term that it implies that you're in the presence of that person. And also at that time, uh, people couldn't come into the presence of Jesus, into the, into the presence of God, because in the temple there was, a, there was an inner sanctuary, um, the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, uh, which was separated from uh, the rest of the temple by a veil. Uh, and that was to protect uh, sinful people from a holy God. And that place in that inner sanctuary was where heaven literally met earth, where God's presence was. But here we have Jesus saying, you come to God the Father, the holy God, and you say, Daddy, 
like you're in his presence. And the truth is we are in God's presence here because Jesus has made a way. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn from top to bottom and there is no barrier between us and our God. So the first posture of the heart that Jesus teaches us is to come with love, love and tenderness for a heavenly father who cares for us and who wants a relationship with us. But equally, that is immediately followed by the, the recognition that God is still holy and powerful. Hallowed be your name, holy is your name. So we come to God, first of all, with that posture of love, and secondly, with reverence and awe uh, for, for a God who deserves our praise and glory. And then he says, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Now, it's important to recognize as well that the kingdom of heaven isn't defined by land borders or a line on a map. It's defined by human hearts. And the kingdom of heaven isn't a political kingdom, it's a spiritual one. And it's, it's not a temporary one either. It's an eternal one. If you think that our um, beloved and departed uh, Queen Elizabeth II reigned for a glorious 70 years, but her kingdom, you know, her reign came to an end, but the kingdom of heaven is eternal. And so when we, when we pray your kingdom come, we're aligning our will with the will of God. And we're saying that we come under your authority. In fact, our king is Jesus. We come under the authority of Jesus. And in fact, Jesus exemplified this perfectly for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just before he was crucified on the night that he was betrayed, he prayed and he just said, Abba, Father, Daddy, if you are willing, take this cup from me. If you're willing, take it from me, but not my will. Your will be done, your will be done. So he exemplified that, uh, that posture of the heart of surrender and submission, a complete submission of the will. So when we say your kingdom come, we are submitting and surrendering our will to our loving Father. And then finally, he says, give us each day our daily bread. And if you remember uh, when the Israelites were in the, uh, in, the, in the wilderness, when they were in the desert, the, the manna from heaven was uh, provided. It appeared in the, you know, in, at dawn every morning and the Israelites collected enough for that day. God's provision is daily. It, you cannot store God's provision for the next day. And so when we say give us our daily bread, we are, we're, we've, we've got a posture of the heart which is one of dependence, depending on God daily for his provision, and we're placing our trust in him for his provision. And why do we do this? Well, this gives glory to God, so this posture of the heart of love for a tender and loving Father, reverence for a holy God, submission to a God because we come under his kingdom and dependence on his provision. That's the attitude of the heart, the posture of the heart that we come before God when we pray. So I believe that's what Jesus was teaching us in those first words. So that was posture. So I'm gonna move on to the second part, which is purity. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad that Jessica shared what she shared and Rosie shared what she shared as well at the beginning because, because 
you need to hear that. That is the backdrop of this message. There is quite a hard message in what I'm gonna say, but fundamentally, I just want you to know that if you believe in Jesus, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have transitioned from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You are a child of God. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love. God loves you. He loves you so much. And as Rosie said, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I just want you to hear that, first of all, uh, before I go on to, to something which is a bit harder to hear. And um, just a preface what I'm gonna say as well. I'd just like to give you the example because see, I, I just don't want to dilute this message. It's too important to dilute. And Jesus makes it clear in, in the next part of this prayer that there are certain things that, um, that interfere with, uh, that have consequences basically. And these are you know, unconfessed sin, unforgiveness, and giving in to temptation. But even if we do these things as children, I mean, I don't know how many times I've, I've fallen, you know, I've sinned as a Christian and I know that God has continued to love me. And I'd just like to give you, you know, just put this out there. So I don't know whether you as a child, if you did something wrong as a child, were you ever sent to your room? Were you ever sent to your room and, and told to go there until you were ready to apologize? I mean, I, I, well, I was, I don't know if you were, I don't know if you do that as well. You, maybe you send your children, you know, if they do something and they refuse to apologize, you say, go to your room. I mean, effectively, what, what is happening there is um, you are being separated from the presence of your parents. Uh, you can no longer see their face because you're locked in your room. But the moment, the moment you want to apologize and you come back and you say, mommy, daddy, I'm sorry, you know, you're back in their presence. But while you're in your room, you are still their child. You are still loved. But I'm just saying that there are consequences for our sin. And so Jesus teach us, teaches us next. He says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. I just want to um, share with you two passages from Isaiah. And I'm going to read these passages because I want you to know that these are God's words. These are, this is God speaking through his prophet Isaiah. Uh, the first is Isaiah 59 verse 2, and it says, but your iniquities have separated you from God. And that's your sins have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So that's like, you know, with the, uh, the directional antenna, so when we sin, effectively what we're doing is we're saying we no longer trust God, you know, so we basically turn the antenna away from God, but equally God is, is turning his face away from us. So our sin has that effect that you know, we turn away from God and God turns away from us. He still loves us and he still wants a relationship with us, but there are consequences of our sin. So that was the easy part. So I'm just gonna go on now to Isaiah chapter one. I'll read verses 13 to 17. And I, I find these words really, really hard to read. Um, but I feel that they're really important and I feel that this is the burden, this is the message that the Lord has given me. So God is speaking through his prophet Isaiah to his chosen people. His chosen people are doing everything that they're called to do. They're praying, they're, you know, they're, um, you know, they're, they're observing the, the religious festivals that they're meant to reserve, observe, 
um, and, um, and they're giving the gifts. But this is what Isaiah says. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. That's hard, isn't it? So why is that? Isaiah goes on, your hands are full of blood. And if you remember, Jesus taught us that when we harbor hatred and anger towards our fellow man, then it is as good as murdering them. We have blood on our hands. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Effectively, what Jesus is saying is we have a responsibility to get our relationship with each other right before we come and seek God's face in prayer. But please hear me again, and as it was said before, God's desire, his heart, is that we come and pray for him all the time. But the important message is that there are consequences of our sin, our unconfessed sin, our unrepentance. And so in, um, in, in, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus puts it like this. He says that if you're coming to the altar and you've got a gift to give, and you realize at the altar that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there. Don't offer your gift, leave your gift there. Go and be reconciled to your brother and sister first, then come back and offer your gift. So when Jesus is praying, forgive us as us, us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us, he's saying that we should come to God knowing that we have already in our heart forgiven our brother and sister. So if, as soon as you feel that someone, that, that you've hurt someone, that you've wronged someone, apologize to them. Make up with your neighbor, your, your brother and sister first, then come and offer your gift, then come and pray. And I'm not saying as well, please don't mishear me here, I'm not saying that grace is, um, is, is something that you receive because you've given grace. I'm not saying that at all, so don't hear that. Because grace, by definition, is something that is undeserved. But I'm just saying that there are consequences for our sin. And I'm, I'm using this in the context of prayer. And uh, just want to, uh, to, to, to also draw on uh, James chapter five, where you know, this, is a, this is a very well-known scripture where the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. How often do we hear that and we say that? But that, that verse, that verse 16, has a first half to it, and it, that first half is confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so there's something here about, um, about confessing our sins to each other, and then our prayers will be powerful and effective. Okay, um, I'm just, uh, just gonna quickly go on to this, this next bit. I just want to say something about uh, when Jesus said, and lead us not into temptation. So, if you think about it, in this prayer so far, we've prayed for our 
provision from God for today. We've prayed for forgiveness of our sins in the past, and now we're asking for protection in the future. Lead us not into temptation. And just as a way of explaining this, what is happening, when we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And the Holy Spirit is like a strong man, a strong man in our house. The enemy cannot break in and enter while the Holy Spirit is there unless we invite the enemy in. Why would we do that? Why would we invite the enemy into our house? Why would we do that? The enemy wants to destroy and he wants to steal. He wants to steal our inheritance, the most precious thing that we've got. So why would we invite the enemy into our house? But when we, when we agree with the enemy, when we um, believe a lie of the enemy, effectively we're inviting him in to a part of our house. And it can start off as a toehold and then become a foothold and then become a stronghold. So when we give into temptation, we're really turning our trust away from God and believing the enemy. And, and the Holy Spirit, you know, is not, well, if, if we've invited the enemy in, the enemy has a legitimacy to be there until we command him to leave, until we cancel the agreement that we have made with the enemy and then command him to leave. And sometimes we have blind spots. Uh, sometimes we cannot see um, you know, things that other people can see, and so we do need to help each other to see those blind spots. I just want to finish this section on purity with a positive. And, and for me, um, the, the priestly blessing, which is in Numbers uh, chapter 6, verses 24 to 26, which was really, really popular during the pandemic. And, and it goes, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and bring you peace. The Father's heart is to bless us, is to be gracious to us, is to bring us peace. And as soon as we turn back to him, then he will uh, turn his face back to us. Okay, so that was the second point on purity. I'm going to speed up a little bit here. Uh, just on perseverance, we, we, there was a long passage there which I read, um, but I'm just going to focus on the middle bit, which was Jesus said, uh, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. So I'm going to take it in reverse order because Jesus took it in reverse order. He started with knocking. And so what, what does it mean to, to knock? Well, what it isn't is like, is like a, a little kid who's, um, who wants to go up to the big house on the edge of town uh, with that mysterious person in it. Could be my house, by the way. And, um, and, you know, just creep up to the door and just like knock on the door and then run away before the door opens. Jesus is saying, no, you don't knock like that. And, and it's not like if you've got a neighbor you don't like and, or you don't trust your neighbor and, you know, you, um, you have to go and speak to your neighbor. Maybe the postman has delivered a, a parcel for you to your neighbor and you've got to go around and collect it. And you, and you go up and you hesitantly knock and you think, I just want to get this over with. You don't knock like that. He says knock as if you're going to a friend's house. So I could go to any one of your house and I, middle of the night I could knock and I'd say, please, you know, I need some bread. Middle of the night. <laughs> so that's how we should knock. And, and just the point here, I just want to draw one point out here, that this persistent knocking has less to do with changing God's heart and his mind, and more to do with changing our heart and our, heart, our mind. 
Andrew spoke about Josiah. When we pray persistently for someone, we, we align our heart with God's heart for that person. And if you, if you remember in that, in that story that Jesus gave, the person wasn't asking for bread for himself, he was asking bread for a friend who is in need. And so when we pray persistently for each other, we're aligning our heart with God's heart and our will with God's will, and we're connecting more with each other. So that persistence is to benefit us in our prayer life. Okay, so that's, um, um, that's knocking. So seeking, uh, just very, very quickly, uh, if you can get past the fact that I'm a little bit weird and um, unusual, uh, okay, I'll just put it out there. I'm a forager, I love free food. That's why I love the church lunch. You know, <laughs> next week it's gonna be great, but I am a forager and uh, different times of year I like to forage for different things. But across the foreshore, um, you know, it's a beautiful place to walk, but this is my favorite time of year because I go foraging for rose hips and see buckthorn and they're everywhere. They're just wonderful. The rose hips, I make a beautiful, delicious, uh, refreshing tea. It's rich in vitamin C. It's perfect for this time of year. It's caffeine-free. You can drink it at night. It's wonderful. Uh, but the sea buckthorn, the sea buckthorn really is the king of superfoods. It is absolutely loaded to the gunnels with vitamins, minerals, um, uh, antioxidants. It's just so good for you. It's good in, in every way. And I, and I, I find them because I'm looking for them. I go looking for the sea buckthorn and the rose hips, and, and I find them. Now, the majority of people who go walking along the foreshore, and a lot of people walk along there, they don't even give them a second look, a second thought. You know, they might see them and think, oh, that looks pretty, but they walk past not knowing the goodness. And I just wonder how often, how many people walk through life unaware of the blessing and the goodness and the provision and the protection that is available to them through God if they will just look for God as they walk through life. And then finally, ask. Uh, Jesus says, ask and you will receive. But notice he says, ask for the Holy Spirit and you will receive. The most, the most amazing gift that we can receive is the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 14, uh, Jesus said that, you know, those who love him and obey his commands, he'll ask the Father and the Father will send us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and live with us and anything that we ask uh, will be done. If we ask for anything in Jesus' name, he will do that. Why? Because it brings glory to the Father in the Son. And Jesus also said that we will do the same works that he did because we believe in him and trust in him, and because we have the Holy Spirit within us, we will do the same works that he will. And in fact, even, even more works, even better works, even, even greater things, he says. And so the best thing that we can ask for is the Holy Spirit, and God will give you the Holy Spirit if you ask. And finally, just linked to prayer, when we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit intercedes on behalf of God's people in accordance with the will of God. So the Holy Spirit is the best thing that we can ask for. Okay, I'm just gonna bring this to a close now. Um, I just want to just say one thing before I do bring it to a close, and this, is, and this is about the importance of private prayer, and this is what stimulated the disciples to ask Jesus to teach them to pray. And if you consider an iceberg, 90% of the iceberg is under the water, it's hidden, and 10% of the iceberg 
is above water, it's visible. But the 90% that is under the water is vital, because if it wasn't for that 90%, you wouldn't see the 10% on the surface. And it's a bit like private prayer. Every spirit-led ministry is underpinned, is supported by prayer, by private prayer. That private prayer is so important. Jesus says, go into your room and pray to your heavenly Father, and he will hear what you do in secret. So I think that's just a really important point to finish on. So if, um, if, as I've been talking through this, uh, you feel that you're not even connected, you know, let alone having a copper connection for, for broadband or a 4G router, uh, if you're not even connected, as Jessica said earlier, please do come and speak to one of us afterwards. We'd love to help you in your journey towards getting to know Jesus. But if you, if you identified with that kind of copper cable prayer life where God is often a frozen picture on a screen, um, or you feel that when you're in a crisis time or when it's raining in your life, that, uh, that your prayer life is just letting you down, then I would just um, offer for you uh, something which we, uh, we, we've recently made available to everyone in review, and it's called Unbound. It's a, it's a gentle ministry, and it deals with all of the things that Jesus has been talking about in, in, this, uh, in this prayer, about um, unconfessed sin, about unforgiveness, about uh, agreeing with the enemy, agreeing with lies of the enemy, bondage. Uh, so it's a gentle ministry, it's completely confidential. Uh, and, unless, of course, the only caveat is that if you say something that you know, indicates that someone is in danger or you're in danger, then we'll need to do something about that. But apart from that, it is confidential. Uh, it lasts about an hour and a half, um, and it'll probably be in the Riverview Hub. So I just encourage you to, uh, to respond, to reflect, to see whether, uh, I mean, don't you want to see God face to face? Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jessica spoke about purity and our hearts being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Do you want a, a deeper, richer prayer life? Do you want to hear from God? Do you want that Father's broadband? So I just encourage you to come forward and, um, and take up the offer of an unbound session. We'd love to help you. Amen.